Well, today we're uh, touching the second part of overwhelming grace. This is our part two. And today we'll be talking about vindicating grace and reigning grace. And last week we read out of Romans 5, 15 through 21. I don't have time to read all of that today. But in that section of Scripture, there is the uh, expressions of overwhelming grace. But then he lets us, Paul lets us see uh, some other factors of, or uh, facts about grace. And that is grace that justifies. And I chose the word vindicates. Grace that vindicates and grace that reigns. And so I want to share that with you today. If you didn't hear last week's message yet, uh, um, let me encourage you to go to our YouTube channel and check out Overwhelming Grace Part 1 and uh, watch that uh, either on YouTube or you can also catch it on Facebook. But you really need that foundational material to appreciate the message more this week, although I know it's going to, I believe it's going to touch your heart and encourage you and lead you to a greater love uh, of Jesus in your own life. Let me read verse 15, which really captures the essence of the whole series. And verse 15 in the Amplified Bible says, But the free gift of God is not like the trespass, because the gift of grace overwhelms the fall of man. And that's pretty much what I was speaking about last week, is this gift of grace that overwhelms the fall of man. And we unpacked that uh, quite a bit last weekend. But he goes on to say, For if many died by one man's trespass, that is, Adam's sin, much more abundantly did God's grace and the gift that comes by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to benefit the many. And this passage that we looked at last week was giving us a contrast between Adam, the first man, and we're going to call him the trespasser, and Jesus Christ, Paul calls him the second man, who is the overwhelming grace giver. And so I've got a little chart here that kind of shows us what we talked about last week in just a very little bit of brief detail. It says, one man's trespass brought to us this fall of man. And because of that, we are all now, God sees us as sinners. And from Adam on, all men die, die a physical death because of Adam's sin. Death reigned over mankind. And you and I carry a curse. And we talked about last week the original and inherited sin that we receive from Adam. Not Adam's first sin action where he ate the fruit, but his original sin means it's his propensity to sin, his nature to sin, and we are born with the same thing. We inherited it from Adam, and we all have that propensity. And we need Christ. We need the overwhelming grace giver to come and do something for us. He reversed the curse. All trespassed, all sinned, but only one man died. One man sinned, all died. All men sinned, one died. That's the difference. The law of God was given to reveal and magnify our sin and to make us aware of our guilt. But 
Christ comes to fulfill the law of God for us, and he extends overwhelming grace to forgive us of our sins. All of our sins. So that's pretty much what we talked about last week. We took almost an hour to unpack that, and I encourage you to go watch that if you have not seen it or heard that. Today, we're going to talk about the consequence of Adam's actions. Today we're going to talk about condemnation and judgment. Let's, let's see that up there. I think we have a chart for that. And the penalty of death that comes to all men because of Adam's actions, the consequence. But Paul also compares the consequence of Jesus' actions, which is breaking that curse. The gift of grace was released to all men justification, we'll talk about that in a little bit, and life for all who believe. So sin affected all through Adam, but Jesus comes to crush the effects of that sin over us with overwhelming grace. Sin caused death to reign. To reign powerfully. No man can escape it. But the abundance of grace in Christ This gift of righteousness through him causes grace to reign in us, and then we can reign in life. And I hope you'll enjoy this part of the message today. We are destined to reign in life because of Christ's work. So let's start. We're going to talk about two things, vindicating grace and reigning grace. So let's start with vindicating grace, and we'll take a few minutes to talk about that. Why do we need vindicating grace? Or justifying grace. What is it anyway? Well, the word vindicate means to acquit, to absolve, to clear of any blame, or to declare innocent. And I am going to focus on declare innocent because that's what Jesus does with vindicating grace. He declares you and me innocent. It means that no sin can now condemn you eternally. What does knowing and believing this, knowing that I am vindicated by God's overwhelming grace, do for me? What, what is the benefit of that vindicating grace? Well, we're going to look at verse 18, but I want you to look, pay attention to some words I have highlighted. Condemnation, justification, righteous, acceptable, and right standing. Let's look at verse 18 of Romans 5. So then, as through one trespass, that is Adam's sin, there resulted condemnation for all men. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For just as through one man's disobedience, his failure to hear... His carelessness, the many were made sinners. So through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous and acceptable to God and brought into right standing with him. So let's look at the word condemnation. The word condemnation can mean some lighter things and can mean some heavier things. I'll start with the lighter. Condemnation can be an expression of very strong disapproval. You may feel when your parents scolded you harshly, 
or told you they didn't like something you did, you felt condemned. You felt as if there was a, a condemnation spirit coming out of maybe an authority figure over you, perhaps a teacher or whatever. There's an, another portion of condemnation that means sentencing or punishment, like a, a penalty that is a retribution for an offense. Uh, a person who breaks the law goes is captured by the police and taken into a judge, and so this penalty of punishment is now put upon them, and that is a form of condemnation. But what we're going to talk about today is more akin to damnation. The word can mean not only disapproval, but it indicates a eternal judgment, a separation from God that is devastating to you, is death to you. And no one, I can't imagine anyone wanting to ever be under God's condemnation in this way. But the opposite of, the, of that is justification or vindication. It's the act of making righteous in the sight of God. To justify is to make right or righteous. And, and, when, and, and it, it declares the, the wrong in a person as innocent. It declares the person innocent. When I was younger, someone helped me understand justification by identifying it this way. I'm sure you've, some of you have heard it. You think of a definition of justification as this. God treats me just as if I never sinned. Just as if I never sinned. And I've held on to that even as an adult. I've thought of that so many times. God, I thank you that you look upon me. Yes, I, I did wrong. I sinned before you. I ask you to forgive me. Treat me now according to your promise. Justify me. Treat me as just as if I never sinned. Now, let me remind you that we would not know that we're sinners if it weren't for the law of God. The moral law, which we call the Ten Commandments, was given to expose our sin nature. The law was given to be like a master or a teacher and designed to magnify your sins and expose you as a sinner before God. The law of God was never meant to save you or to put you in right standing or to cause you to be acceptable and it definitely was not intended for you to keep it because God knew when he gave it to Moses no man would keep it, not for their entire life. Oh, you might keep it for a week or a few days, but you're going to break one of those laws. It's our inherited original sin that has that propensity to disobey. So, the law was meant to hem you in, to box you in, and let you see that you are unacceptable in the state you're in, and, and that you can never live up to the standards and expectations that God has put upon you in the law. So we see in the chart that we showed you earlier that the main consequence of Adam's sin, which Paul calls the fall of man, was not only death here in this life, but a condemnation, a judgment that would be banishment from God's presence, no hope, all is lost, and for eternity, those who are under that condemnation spend eternity in a place called hell.
Now, condemnation and judgment, when we talk about that, that sometimes can conjure up in in our minds uh, a courtroom. And in a courtroom, there are various actors. There is a judge who's sitting on the bench. There is a prosecutor, a defense attorney, maybe some other junior lawyers sitting around by the tables. And, And in some cases, there's a jury. And most often, there's a jailer who's there to take you away and put you in prison if you're found to be guilty. Do you know what the name Satan means in Hebrew? The name Satan means accuser. Now, the Bible tells us that Satan can come to steal, kill, and destroy. And he does. Satan can come to kill, but his his name is not murderer. He can come to steal, but his name doesn't mean thief. He can come to destroy so much, but his name doesn't mean destroyer. His name means accuser. And he comes to prosecute you to the fullest extent of the law. And in the courtroom, you will never find the prosecutor talking about your good points. If you're on the witness stand, he's not going to try to show how good you are. He's not going to discuss how wonderful a person you are. He's not going to brag on your character. No, the prosecutor is there to prosecute you for every one of your failures. And he will bring up every piece of dirty laundry he can find. And show you how you failed over and over again. He's trying to convince you and the jury that you are guilty. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Let's look at Revelation 12, 9 through 11. It says, And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation, and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, And they love not their lives even to the death. Can you say amen? Amen. What a hope we have against the accuser who comes to prosecute us in the law. Satan will use every piece of the law and the fall of man in you to heap guilt and condemnation on you. He'll lie to you. He'll tempt you further. He'll do every trick he knows because He knows if he can bring you under condemnation, he's got you by the neck, and you are helpless in and of yourself to get free of his condemning clutches. I believe there are born-again people who live in a state of constant condemnation. God wants to set you free of that. He wants you to shut the mouth of the accuser. And I'm going to show you how you can do that here in a moment. 
Let me ask you, when you hear words of condemnation echo in your head, who do you think is speaking to you? Is it the Holy Spirit's job? Is that His voice telling you that you're wrong, that you're bad, that you, you've failed? It's not the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.1 says, There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God the Father, they can't contradict themselves. The voice you're hearing is the enemy of your soul. And his purpose is to kill in you the work of justification. Jesus Christ brought that to you. That is your hope. And he, the enemy, wants to annihilate that. He seeks to destroy the work of overwhelming grace. And to rob you of the joy that the forgiveness of your sins brings. Jesus brings us vindicating grace when the accuser tries to do his worst work in us. Let's look at Isaiah fifty four seventeen. Last week I said, grace is in the Old Testament. It's full of it. Isaiah fifty four seventeen. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper, will not succeed. And every tongue that rises against you in judgment, in condemnation, you will condemn. And you need to condemn a voice that's condemning you if you know Christ. Amen? This peace, righteousness, security, and triumph over opposition is the heritage, is the inheritance of the servants of the Lord, and this is their vindication from me, says the Lord. Hallelujah. The condemnation we've been talking about here, some may say, oh, that just sounds like self-talk, negative self-talk, it's self-condemnation. And sometimes our own broken thinking brings out a self-condemnation. But I'm telling you, it all comes from the brokenness of our lives due to the fall of man. There's a greater condemnation that will come to those who rebelled against God, who spurned His grace and forgiveness that Jesus offered. The beautiful thing is that you and I if we know Christ, if we've given our hearts to Him, we'll not know this just, uh, condemnation because we are justified in Christ. Romans 5.1 Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me illustrate this. Let me see. I think I might... No, I guess it's coming yet. I thought I'd skipped over something. And it keeps, I'm wanting to say it now, but it's, it's later. So let me time it according to what I have here. Let me illustrate this by retelling a piece of a message I, I listened to by John Piper. And I love Piper's preaching. It's, it's always inspirational to me. And I was looking to see if he had a message on this, this subject. And so he tells it this way. He also deals with the courtroom. He said, God is the eternal judge. And one day, you and I, we're going to stand before that judge in the courtroom of heaven. And God is going to judge all men. 
and render a verdict upon us. And for those who've trusted in Christ's atoning work on the cross, we will hear that judge render our verdict, and he will say, righteous. And here's why. We trusted in the work of Christ alone for our forgiveness, for our justification. Not anything we do, not anything we are, not anything God helps us to do. You say, some people would say, but we have to believe in that. We have to have faith in that. Yes, you do. But your faith is a gift of God. Not of any work you did, lest any man should brag about it. This faith in the work of Christ, he says, you must hold that as the singular one thing, what Jesus did. You must get your eyes away from yourself. What we are by nature, which is the fall of man, and what we are by grace, which comes because of overwhelming grace, no eyes can be turned upon ourselves at all. We can take no credit, nor can we merit anything in the process. We must look to Jesus alone for the grounds and the basis of our justification. And when we do, through that work, we are united with Christ. We become one with Him. And he says this, put Romans 5.1, which we just quoted a moment ago, therefore having been justified by faith, and put Romans 8.1, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Put that over each other. Just superimpose them over each other. And he says, when you lay those two verses on top of each other, the phrase, by faith, and the phrase, in Christ, cause us to become one with him. And what obedience Christ had, what righteousness Christ had, all the goodness of God in Jesus Christ is now yours. And when you trust Jesus, condemnation is no more, and you are made one in union with Christ. In Him means His righteousness, His obedience is counted as ours. It's credited to you, imputed, the Scriptures say, to us. Joseph Prince calls justification the gift of no condemnation. Receive, if you can't understand justification, just say, I received the gift of no condemnation. Because that is what Christ gives to us. One other little factor here. Piper continues. He says, it's one thing to be forgiven when you are... The work of Christ on the cross brings forgiveness of sin. We've been able to get our head and heart around that. Because Christ expects you and I to forgive one another. And when we forgive, or when He forgives us, we might think He says, yes, you sinned. I forgive you. I'm not going to hold it against you. But He says it's an exceeding wonder that God does not only look upon a guilty person and exercise this forgiveness and mercy and forgive him and says, you're, not, or, you're guilty, I forgive you, Go sin no more. But he also looks upon us 
Those who have trusted Christ and does not just say, you're forgiven. He says, you're not guilty. You are innocent. You are innocent. You are to be treated. I treat you just as if you never sinned. Can we understand that? When the accuser of the brethren comes to you, can you throw it back in his face and say, my father sees me as if I never sinned. I carry no guilt. I carry no condemnation. This is what overwhelming grace does for us. And when the old devil Satan comes to condemn you, when your own mind is reminded of past sins and failures, it is the righteous thing to do, to declare out loud, I am cleansed by the blood of Jesus. I am justified by overwhelming grace. I have put my faith in the once and for all work of Jesus. I am not guilty. You can say that. I will not be condemned. I condemn you. My God has promised me His righteousness. I am one with Jesus. I am justified. I am the righteousness of God in Christ my Savior. My friends, thank God for His vindicating grace. And it comes to you in an overwhelming way. There's more than enough for every day of your life. So let's turn our eyes and our attention toward this other aspect of overwhelming grace, and that is reigning grace. And just as sin reigned in terror and death with tyrannical power over the hearts of men, so overwhelming grace rises to the throne of our hearts with this irresistible goodness and love of God. We sang about this morning, oh, the flow of the river to you of His grace and mercy. And it constrains us to come to Him in obedience. We now love Him. Where we were once enemies, we are now friends of God. And this grace, too, is a teacher of sorts. It jealously guards our hearts and prepares us for an eternity of reigning as kings and priests with Him over the new creation. There is also evidence that points to the fact that our God-given privilege causes us to reign in life now by the overwhelming grace that's been so freely given. Let's look at Romans 5, 20 through 21, again in the Amplified Bible. But the law came to increase and expand the awareness of the trespass. We've covered that by defining and unmasking sin. But where sin has increased... God's remarkable, gracious gift of grace, His unmerited favor, has surpassed it and increased all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, so also grace would reign through righteousness, which brings eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want to talk to you about two applications of reigning grace. Number one is grace reigning over you. Grace reigning over you is a strong it's a strong thing. Grace is not weak. 
Grace is not soft. Grace is not some backward little lovey-dovey thing. Grace reigns over us in dominance. Grace reigns over us with a prevailing power, a prevailing influence. Grace rules in our lives victoriously like a king who has conquered a foe. Grace reigns over you through the righteous warfare and the conquering power of Jesus who is now sitting on the throne of your heart. He is now the king of your life. And grace, in all of its glory, reigns over us. And I'm going to show you in a minute what this prevailing influence of grace actually does for you as a believer. Secondly, though, you reign as king in life because of grace. Now, I looked up the word reign. I thought, you know, yep, grace reigns over me, but I, I don't know if I reign like a king in life. I, I don't know if that's really... I've heard that. I'm not sure I always believed it. So I was looking for, expecting to find a different approach to what that would have meant. But I went to the gold standard of Greek lexicons, and that's Strong's Concordance. And it says that the word reign is a Greek word that means king. To rule as a king. It actually looks like the word we know as basilica. And basilica is the hall and throne room of a king. It's where he sits on the throne and rules and reigns and passes judgments. That's where the king does his business, is in the basilica. And this word for reign is very much akin to that. That's where we get it. But we have to go back to verse 17 to understand and see what Paul said in the context of all of this. So let's look at that verse. He says, For if by the trespass of the one Adam, death reigned through the one Adam, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in eternal life. It's those, that's you and me, who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of no condemnation. We reign in eternal life. Your, your Bible may not say eternal. That's an amplified, if it's in a bracket like that, that's, a, that's something that's in the amplified. Yours may just say reign in life. The word life here in Romans 5.17 is the word zoe. It's a Greek word. And it means life both physical and present and spiritual and future. It is life now in the the world we live in now, and it is life in the afterlife, in the eternal life. And we understand that when we accept the free gift of grace from Jesus, we receive eternal life. And that gift is a reality. Prior to you accepting Christ's free gift of no condemnation, you didn't have eternal life. It was not a gift you possessed. But when you come to Jesus, now you do. It moves you over into a different place. And we also understand that in this eternal life, we will never die. 
we are already living, I believe, in eternity. At the end of the age, or at the end of time as we know it, existence measured by time will no longer continue. And so if you remove the measurements of time, which are seconds, minutes, hours, weeks, months, years, decades, centuries, millennia, take that out of the picture, where are we? We're in eternity. Because I'm not going to die. Now, I may not live in this body. In fact, my scripture tells me I'm going to get a new body. And our spirits will continue to live. And I think we can safely say that I'm living in eternity. And God has called me, made it possible for me to reign as a king in eternity. And I'm in it now. I'm in it now. So when the Word of God promises me abundance of grace to rule over me, He also promises that I will reign in life by that same grace. The same word for reign that we saw in verse 21 and the word for reign in verse 17 both mean king. Rule as a king. Reign as a king. We need to understand that grace which reigns over us gives us the ability, listen, the privilege and the blessing of reigning in this life as a king. In this life, and if you want to say, and the next one. We reign in life with the same dominance, with the same power, with the same prevailing influence, victoriously as a king who has conquered a foe. He makes you more than a conqueror. And that grace, that overwhelming grace, is in you, and you live out of it. And you, you walk around, not in earthly pride, but in spiritual power to overcome this world that we live in, to, to have a prevailing influence in this world. That's what, that's what God wants us to do. Now, Wednesday night, I, was, I began reading a sermon on reigning grace by Charles Spurgeon. I, I, uh, when I gave the three-point outline to Pastor Stephen back in December that we've used here, overwhelming grace, uh, vindicating grace, and reigning grace, I thought... The Lord had spoken reigning grace to me, and that was going to be original with me. I thought that was a fresh word. Oh, I'm the only one that ever thought of that. But Wednesday night, about 9 o'clock, I just Googled reigning grace. I didn't ask for anything else. Just put in quotation mark, reigning grace. And one of the things popped up, was a sermon by Charles Spurgeon called Reigning Grace. And, you know, Charles Spurgeon is one of my favorite old dead guys. I, I love reading Charles Spurgeon. And let me say here, if God so chooses, He can still use 
your reigning in life as king, your life, your ministry, long after you left the earth. Charles Spurgeon is still preaching the gospel to me, to you, even though he's not been with us for 129 years. But his prevailing influence is still there. I'm asking you today, what is does Christ want to do with overwhelming grace in you to leave prevailing influence in the lives of other people? I don't expect this video to reach thousands, but who knows in a hundred years if somebody finds it. But whether we ever have a video or not, we have children, we have friends. We have loved ones. We have acquaintances. We've got each other here. We're to be an encouragement and an influence on each other. I need you to encourage me in the ways of God. You need me to charge you. And I get a platform. But we don't need a platform. We just need a relationship and a life sold out to God. And us to live to the fullest of our calling in grace. I began reading that message, and I had been thinking, how am I going to close this out? What's the, what, do I, what do I say? How do I do this? And I had an idea that I wanted to try, but I wasn't sure I could pull it off, or that I, I had the grace to do it, if you will. That it was really there. And so I started reading that Spurgeon sermon, and about the second page, I was seeing that he was doing, probably in a hundred times better way, <laughs> he was doing what I wanted to do. And I got away from it, I, I shut it down, I said, Lord, that's what I'm doing. And I started to just type on my computer, and I was up till ten after one. And I want to share with you what we're talking about, what God has set in motion for you in reigning grace. Some of you are living it. You are living it. I just want you to be happy that you're there. I want you to double down. Some of you may not be. And it will say, oh, I want that. Oh, I want that. So, I'm just going to go through it. We're not breaking down Greek words. We're not putting points on the board. There's nothing up there. You just listen and let the Scriptures of God tell you how you're to reign as a king in life. Reigning grace is that grace that rules over you as truth, righteousness, joy, and hope. Reigning grace never forces but leads you in holiness, mercy, Consistency, steadfastness, love. Reigning grace guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Sending out ministering spirits to comfort us, protect us, and guide us. Reigning grace is patient with our progress. Our gaining and sometimes losing ground in this walk of faith. Reigning grace prods us along, calling us to higher ground where our eyes can see the vistas of God's wonder, beauty, His greatness. 
Reigning grace makes us makes all things new and shows us what is God's best and turns sometimes a mundane life into the miraculous. Reigning grace pours out upon us wisdom so liberally. All we have to do is just ask for it. Reigning grace keeps us on the narrow way as a sojourner and a pilgrim. And he, and he walks behind us saying, this is the way. Walk there. Reigning grace takes us from glory to glory with ever-increasing faith. Reigning grace lets us behold His glory and see Him as He is, the beautiful One, the everlasting One. Reigning grace lets us behold Him so that we are changed and transformed into His image. Reigning grace lets us bear the image of the heavenly in the earthly world. And reigning grace brings us into newness of life as old things pass away and all things become new. Reigning grace sifts us like wheat, drawing away the chaff that grows around the wheat, that crust, and it yields a rich and bountiful harvest in our lives. Reigning grace transforms our minds, giving us the mind of Christ Our thoughts, which were once not his thoughts, but now have become more like his thoughts. Reigning grace renews the spirit of our minds and helps us put off that old man with its lust and its selfish desires. Reigning grace purges us of our sins, washing us with the blood of Christ, clean and white, and bathing us with the water of the Word of God. Reigning grace opens the windows of heaven and pours out upon us blessings we cannot even contain. Reigning grace satisfies our mouth with good things. It renews our strength like the eagles, causes us to walk and not be the least bit weary. To run this race before us, to reach out and take the prize and not faint while we're running. Reigning grace causes our cup to run over And it tells, Julia, where are you? It tells goodness and mercy to follow us. He sang it today. Chase him down and overcome him. We have plenty to share and we never know lack. We have more than enough to fulfill Christ's call on our lives here on earth. Reigning grace supplies all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Reigning grace brings us the shalom of God. It makes more things here on earth the way they just ought to be. When we pray, thy kingdom come, it does. We can now enjoy some of heaven here on earth. Love has more power. Kindness has greater influence. Joy is so much sweeter. It causes us to rest, to find comfort to lie down in green pastures and drink from the still waters. Shalom brings the rod and the staff of the shepherd to us. And he watches over us in this reigning grace and protects what's rightfully his. Reigning grace puts a hedge of protection all about us, keeping the wolves of temptation, sin, and even death from destroying us. Reigning grace teaches us all things. 
We are no longer slaves to the doctrines of men and the lies and schemes of the devil. Reigning grace reveals truth and sets us free from the bondage of the enemy's propaganda. Reigning grace satisfies every longing of our hearts and of our minds. Reigning grace gives us purpose and promise. We've been called with a high and holy calling. And we've been bought with a price. Reigning grace keeps us from burying our talents in the ground, bringing shame to the one who left us in charge as we invest what he has entrusted to us. It helps us to multiply every gift, not for selfish gain, but for the glory of his name and the advancement of his kingdom. Reigning grace challenges us to develop and use every spiritual gift to redeem our time, to be givers and not takers, to fulfill His greatest call on our lives. Reigning grace saves our households. Reigning grace shows us how to be a godly father, a spiritual mother, how to raise children that will grow in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Reigning grace shows us how to be the priests of our homes, As Christ is our high priest, now we are priests over our families. We are the spiritual fathers and the spiritual mothers who teach our children well. Reigning grace lets us see the world as Jesus saw it. We see through His eyes. We see sheep scattered without a shepherd. Reigning grace gives us compassion for the lost and compels us to go into the highways of the world and invite the lost to His banqueting table. Reigning grace will help us lay our lives down for others. Reigning grace will teach us to love as Christ loved us. Reigning grace helps us fight the good fight of faith. It helps us persevere when all around us seems chaos and hopeless. Reigning grace strengthens us and helps us and causes us to stand. Reigning grace helps us sing His praises, even if our hands and feet are in the stocks. And when the jail doors swing open, we're ready to share Jesus with those who have spitefully used us. Reigning grace will keep us steadfast and immovable, planting our feet on a solid foundation, not on some shifting sand. It helps us be unashamed of the gospel, of Jesus and of the appearance of foolishness, we don't care. Reigning grace helps us to be encouragers of one another. Raise the downtrodden. Accept the outcast. We become helpers of the weak and healers of the sick. We are sowers of the seed, knowing that as we sow, the reapers will overtake us very soon. We're confident of our task We know our calling and believe that through Christ we can do all things as He strengthens us. Reigning grace lifts our heads out of the ashes and crowns our heads with joy. Reigning grace encourages us to have a living hope. And His name is Jesus. Reigning grace has given us a new family. It invites us to a relationship with the lover of our souls 
and with each other. We experience the beauty of His presence, the wonder of His love, and the assurance that we belong to Him. Reigning grace gives us confidence to come before the throne of grace, not as cowards, not with timidity, not with as those who know never know if they're really welcome there. It offers us not just to come before the throne alone. Reigning grace gives us a seat beside Christ Himself, for He has seated us with Him in heavenly places. He has a future and a hope for us. Plans so wonderfully made that He wants to use us to display the riches of His grace and His kindness to the ages to come. I don't even know what that's going to look like. But He wants to take you and me and display us as trophies of His grace even into the ages to come. My friend, you are blessed by overwhelming grace to rule and reign in this life. Reign with Him and enjoy Him forever. Reign with Him and enjoy Him forever. I didn't even scratch the surface, really, of what we have in overwhelming grace. Well, you see, there's much to be enjoyed. There's work to be done. There's just being that we need to have. We just need to be. The people called by His name. I'm praying today that overwhelming grace will overwhelm you. Will run you down. Catch up with you. Slow down a little bit so it can. And overwhelming grace will take you and cause you to reign in life. Let me close by just one last thought. In all these things, overwhelming grace reigns over us. And because it reigns in us, we reign in life. Remember that I said, probably in the first two or three minutes of the message last week, I said grace is not an idea. Grace is not an abstract theory. Grace is a person. And he is Jesus. And reigning grace is King Jesus reigning over us and in us. I want you to stand to your feet right now. I want you to stand to your feet. I'm going to do something with you here. So just work with me. I want you to just humbly right there. Just bow your head and thank God. Use your own words. Whisper it. Whisper it. Your, your neighbor won't care. I'm going to do it too. Just whisper and thank God for the overwhelming grace He has brought you in Jesus Christ. That He's destroyed your old man. He's given you the gift of no condemnation. And He's chosen to take up residence in you. To give you this overwhelming grace in such fullness that you can live out of it. It'll flow through you and you can rule and reign in life. Just humbly thank Him right there. Look up at me when you're finished. Still have a few folks.
Whatever space you're taking up, where you stand, I want you to stand as tall as you can. Come on, everybody. Stand as tall as you can right now. I want to see your your, your body change. Stand as tall as you can. Take up a little more space this way too. I know the ladies won't like that. Stand up. Christ, fill us. Let us walk in this world. Not in earthly pride. Not in something we've done. But His grace fills us up. And we hold our head up. And we go out into the darkness. And we take authority. We take charge. We speak for Him. We are strong. There is nothing that can stop us. And should they take your life, who cares? You have eternal life. Stand up. Hold yourself up. Be Jesus in the world. Be like Him. Remember last week I said that the law was to make you like little Adams? Well, grace makes you like little Jesuses. Makes you like little Christ. That's what Christian means. To be a Christian is a little Christ. An example. uh, A mirror image of Him. And I encourage you, step up and be who God has called you to be. He's graced you with His love and goodness. Take it. Seize it. And move forward. Enjoy. Assurance. Confidence. That our God is with us. He wants to use us for His glory. Don't be, don't be backward. Don't be timid. Don't, don't shrink back. Step up. Step up. And be who God has called you to be. If you're online and you would like to pray, have someone pray with you about what we talked about today. We'd like to ask you to call this number, 234-6151, 502 area code. 234-6151, call that number. We've got someone ready to pray with you right now. If you need to be saved, come, come and call that number. Someone will lead you to Jesus and introduce you to Him and help you to just step across the line into faith. It's not that hard. Christ said He made it in such a way that even a little child could come to Him. So come to Christ today. And someone is there to help you. We have altar ministry teams here. If they'll come forward now. And if you have prayer for any need, we're here to stand with you in faith. And we'll trust God. Let's sing a little bit. Then I'm going to come back and we'll have a blessing prayer as we go. Thank you for your attention today. I hope it's been a blessing. Let's worship the Lord again.
to send you out. I want you to just go as ambassadors for Jesus today. I'm sending you. Go and be a little Christ to this world. Have a prevailing influence. And reign in your area, whatever that is, whatever that looks like. Your home first. Your job, your career, your community. Reign as a king. Reign as a loving king. Reign like Jesus does because he's the servant king. Go and serve somebody. Love on them. Share Christ. Share the gospel this week. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time we've had together, the awesome worship that we enjoyed this morning, these songs that are so rich with you. We thank you for the word of God. I pray that our time there today will last for a very long time. The Word of God will not return to you void and will do its effective work in our hearts. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the overwhelming grace that we enjoy from His heart and His hands. We thank you for the work of Christ on the cross. We thank you that He's forgiven us of our sins and that He sent the Holy Spirit to empower us to do the work of ministry. Father, I send these, my brothers and sisters, as one of the pastors of this church, I send them out this week into the dark world around us and let their light so shine that men might know their Heavenly Father and Jesus the Savior. We love you. Bless us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Let all God's people say amen. Give me a big smile. You're dismissed. Thank you. If you want to stay in worship, you're certainly welcome to do that.